Hey, Story Slam friends, this is Adam from Madison Story Slam. It has been a while, and I'm sure you've been curious if we would uh, be going anymore. Uh, we are. Um, this is a recording from May, from our May Story Slam. The theme was Hindsight is 2020. Um, hey, just so you know, uh, we're starting back up again in August, uh, Saturday, August 15th. That's the third Saturday of the month. We are starting Story Slams back up. We'll be meeting at the Wilmar Center on Jennifer Street. You can find us on Facebook uh, and find some more info there. But again, the theme uh, is phobias. And uh, so come by and hear some stories, tell some stories about the things you're afraid of. And maybe together we'll be able to get over those things. Anyway, like I said, this recording is from the Hindsight is 2020 uh, Story Slam from back in May. We held on to it because we knew we'd be kind of slow in the summer. So here's some midsummer stories to get you through your dreary days. So everybody, put your hands together for Phil Doherty. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. Um, so hindsight's 2020. This story is not about my hindsight. Um, I saw this coming from a mile away. Uh, but so um, the story takes place. Uh, I was a camp counselor at a summer camp. Uh, camp, good time, summer day camp. Woo! So um, at, at the end of every year, um, all the students, not students, all the, all the campers and their counselors would put together a show for the parents. And the show was called Follies. And you'd put together a little song and dance and do the thing to like prove that you had fun over the summer, right? So every year that this camp existed, that show got more and more grandiose. So one year, for example, uh, at the beginning or at the end of Follies, we gave all the kids balloons and they all released them into the air, and it was beautiful, and you saw them all, like, fly away. And in, in, uh, aside from being a bit environmentally inconsiderate, uh, it, it was pretty cool. Like, all the balloons flew away. So after that, next year, we're like, okay, we got to step this up. So the next year, they did butterflies. They were like, oh, we're all going to release butterflies. They're going to fly away. It's going to be beautiful. They're going to be floating around us like a fairy tale. So this year, uh, it was particularly hot on the summer. Gave all the kids these butterflies. And I don't know if any of you have bought butterflies in bulk before, but they come in envelopes. Don't know why. Big tray of envelopes. And you hand these envelopes to the kids, and the kids are just like, that's an envelope. Put it in their pocket. They do. Just hold on to it, you know. So we, we have kids here from from first grade through through late middle school, right? So we got some some young dudes. And we've given them all these butterflies, they're in their hands, they're doing their song and dance or whatever. Comes time to be the end the end of Follies, the big reveal. All the kids are told to open open their envelopes and let the butterflies fly free. And like I said, you can see this coming from a mile away. All the butterflies are dead. <laughs> they fall onto the floor in in pathetic manner, and every child in the audience starts bawling. <laughs> It's, it was the best finale to an excellent summer. Uh, so that camp director's hindsight in 2020, don't, don't order butterflies in bulk. So that's my story. Thank you, Phil. 
Uh, I'm not going to say anything funny about this next storyteller because last time I did, she yelled at me. But her name is Crystal, so put your hands together for Crystal. I had really good reasons, just for the record. Um, So this story is about the time I went to my friend Anna's house for dinner. Um, And she, so originally she was supposed to come to my house because she's not much of a cook. Um, But she called me and she was like, hey, this is really cool. I won um, a meal, a home-cooked meal by a chef. So he's coming to our house. We're supposed to have like six to eight people there. So do you want to just come over to my house instead? So um, that's what we did. And um, she told me that he was going to teach us how to cook healthy food. Uh, If you can't tell by looking at me, I don't really cook healthy food. I really like butter. So I was already skeptical. Um, And then we got there, and he hands us out these, like, sheets that we're supposed to sign up with, like, our name and number and email address. So I'm getting a little bit more skeptical. And then when we give it back to him, he hands us catalogs for cookware. So it turns out this is like a Mary Kay party, but for cookware instead of Mary Kay products. So um, the guy starts out by telling us that he's going to cook us, um, all eight of us, plus two children, a meal that's 600 calories total between the eight of us plus two children. But this cookware is revolutionary, and none of the nutrients leave when you cook food in it. So you're going to feel so full you won't even notice you're eating under 100 calories. So he starts by bringing out this like giant shredder machine that you can buy for $400. And he like shreds all these vegetables and makes a salad. And it's pretty good, but um, not very filling. Um, and then he makes like chicken. And he doesn't put any oils on it. Because um, there's this revolutionary pan that has oil inside of like the layers. Um, which you can buy for like $800. Uh, like outrageous amounts of money for um, this cookware. Uh, And he doesn't use salt or pepper either, because we all know salt is bad for us. Um, And then there's, like, vegetables and stuff. Um, And as he's, like, making all this stuff, he's, like, telling us all these awesome things about the cookware. And he keeps over and over using the phrase, I know it's a lot of money, but this is an investment on your health. Because you're going to lose so much weight only eating 90 calories every meal. Um, And so he's trying to sell us on this cookware, and there are these, like, payment plans. Um, But one of their friends, uh, who none of us really knew very well, but he's just, like, a nice and encouraging guy. So, like, anytime he would say something about this cookware, the guy would be like, wow, that's amazing. So he totally seemed like he was, like, this planted person trying to convince us to buy this cookware. Um, And the guy also would, like... Uh, he would be like really short so he'd be like can someone just get me a spoon for this and like so it was really awkward Uh, and then he finished off the meal uh, after talking to us all about the like health benefits of this cookware he finished off the meal with this cake that was like shredded vegetables and then a boxed cake mix Um, so just full of preservatives and not very good um, so hindsight is twenty twenty. If a stranger offers to cook a meal for you and eight of your closest friends, they're probably trying to sell you something. Just say no. Thanks, Crystal. Uh, so it's like, it, it was basically like hors d'oeuvres. I mean, less than 600 calories, that's... That's like my intake per hour. Uh, 
<laughs> so, moving right along, we are cruising tonight. Uh, our next storyteller is named Hala. It's, it's kind of like Hallelujah, but it's just Hala. Give it up for Hala! I've never heard that before, Adam. <laughs> All right, so y'all are going to look at me and go, Hala. How did you not know that this was happening as I'm telling you this story? And so because of that, I need to tell you a few things about myself first. First off, I'm naturally really friendly, therefore kind of flirty. So oftentimes people think I'm flirting with them when really I'm just being myself and being friendly. Second thing, I'm also apparently really direct and blunt. And I still am not convinced that I am this way, but my friends continue to tell me this about myself. So, whatever. We'll just believe my friends for this story because it makes sense. <laughs> Not funny. <no. laughs> um, and uh, the last thing is, is that I hang out with a lot of guys often, all right? So, you probably know where this is going now. So, I usually hang out with guys one-on-one, and it's fine, and it's fun. And guys, girl, get along with them well. No big deal. So, there were these guys. Right, and uh, I met them through work, and they were new to town, wanted to learn more about Madison, and like got along with them really well. We exchanged numbers because, uh, you know, my friends were going out that weekend, and we were going to show them around. So, hang out with these guys, good time, really fun. But then there was this one guy, we'll call him Mike, because that was actually what his name was. He doesn't live here anymore, so I don't feel bad saying that. Um, <laughs> he uh, sends me a text message one night. He's saying, like, hey, you said this bar was really awesome. You really like the beer there. Like, you want to meet me for a beer at this bar? And I'm like, I like beer. I'll go meet for like meet him for a beer. And me being my friendly self, I also think he probably invited more people, like his friends, because that's who I've hung out with like him before. So get this text message. I had just come home from the gym. Totally sweaty, like in gross clothes. So all I do is throw some good pants on, pull my hair back, and go to meet him. So I didn't do much, as you can see. I go to meet him, and it turns out Mike is the only one there. I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd. Maybe his you know, friends were busy. People get busy. Whatever. I still like beer. So we end up at the Great Dane, and the next thing we know, we're sitting in the beer garden, candlelight, tons of other couples around us. And uh, we order beer, and he just goes, man, I'm so hungry. I'm like, Awesome. He's like, I think I'm going to order some food. Are you going to order food? And I'm like, well, this just got awkward because I just ate dinner. <laughs> like, I don't want food, but now I feel obligated to get food. I'm like, yeah, sure. I guess I could eat a little something. So we eat dinner, finish our beers, beginning to think, you know, it's getting a little weird. So then we leave the Great Dane, and he decides, oh, there's this other place I really want to try. You up for another drink? And I'm like, yeah, I can drink some more. So we go to this next place, again, get a drink, good time, whatever. At this point, it starts pouring down rain. My car is on the other side of downtown. His happens to be really close. And so, again, you know, I'm out with a friend, right? And he offers to take me back to my car. And I'm like, yeah, sure, that'd be nice. I would rather not get soaked as I walk back to my car. Well, he takes me back to my car. You guys know where this is going. I can see some of you cringing already, and I apologize. So, we're in the car. We're, like, pulled over kind of on the side of a lane. I see my car right there. It's pouring down rain. Cars are, like, passing us. You know, and I'm like, the kids is awkward. So I just go, all right, Mike, that was fun. Like, I'll talk to you later. And he goes, no, 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 come here. And I'm thinking, oh, he wants a hug. (laughs) 
about the um, distance between a driver's seat and a passenger seat in a car and how long it takes for one to lean in before realizing my, what actually might be happening. It's about three seconds, I think. And they happen to be the three longest seconds of my life as I am like, oh, he wants an awkward side hug. He did pay for everything. I might as well give him a friendly hug. So I lean down, and these three seconds that I'm telling you, they were so long, composed of the looking over and leaning, starting to lean down, second one, oh crap, he doesn't want to hug, <laughs> as he's doing this, <laughs> as he's also leaning in towards me, and second two, I'm sitting there going, I don't want to kiss this guy, I don't even like him that way, like how does he, why does he think I want to kiss right now? Oh my gosh, we're on a date. <laughs> and then this is the worst second, and I apologize to all of you guys out there. Second one, or second three, I'm about an inch from his face, and I just go, uh, no. <laughs> to which, I then turn and look at his now pale, shocked face. <laughs> and um, needless to say, I never heard or saw from him again. <laughs> Poor Mike. <laughs> Man, if I had a nickel for every time I've thought, Man, I don't want to kiss this guy. <laughs> My wife's in the kitchen. She's never heard that joke before. Uh, so we are, uh, you know what, I might have a little bit of a story. Hindsight is twenty twenty. This uh, involves um, a girl and uh, a guy and myself. I am also a guy. Uh, and uh, his name was Ian, is Ian. Uh, and I, we, I had a great friend when I was like a sophomore in high school. <clears throat> and... Um, he uh, or she, her name was, uh, let's call it Kayla, because that was her name. And uh, I was desperately in love with Kayla, and she knew that, but uh, I made the mistake of introducing her to my friend Ian, and she was like, oh baby, that's the one for me. And so like anytime I went to go hang out with Kayla, she'd be like, let's call Ian, maybe he's up to something fun. And like, I, it never clicked with me that she was into Ian. Uh, and then one day she finally said, I like Ian. And I was like, oh my gosh, in hindsight, it makes so much sense. But we were, it was just me and Kayla out when she told us, told me that. And, and we were at Denny's and we lived in some prairie. So we were at the East side Denny's, which at the time was, uh, you could smoke. Does anybody remember when you could smoke in the East side Denny's? And it just, it had that like aquarium that if you were a smoker, you had to go in and it was just like full of smoke. It was disgusting. So it was on the car ride back that she told me that, that she really liked Ian. And I was crushed. It was like the first girl that I really, like, I loved this girl. And uh, in hindsight, I should have known. Um, and then I said to her, it was pouring rain. And we were about uh, three blocks from her house. And I said to her, you know, I just, I feel like you've been using me for the last six months just so that you could hang out with Ian. And she went, well, I have. <laughs> And I stopped the car and said, get out. 
and she, she turned and looked at me and I said and said what? And I said, get out of my car and walk home. And I, I made her walk home in the rain. And I don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> Hindsight that. Uh, I don't know what that means. All right, our next storyteller. Is honestly, you know, I say this about a lot of people who regularly tell stories, but this is true. Our next storyteller is one of my favorite people who have told the story. He's got my favorite story I've ever heard. I mean, probably not even just here, but just in general. Uh, if you find him afterwards and, and ask him about it, he might tell you. It's about somebody uh, almost, oh, well, it's about somebody climbing a tree and dropping some bombs. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. But. His name is Tom. His last name is Schmidt. And so I'd like to hear some great cheers for Tom Schmidt. Hi. Um, So uh, I'm going to tell just three short little stories, okay? Um, The first one, and it'll be in kind of chronological order. Uh, The first one was uh, my sister. I have two younger sisters. And my sister and I, uh, Marsha and I, the, the, and Pat is the youngest. Marsha and I are pretty close, and we were pretty close as kids as well. And so Pat, of course, was a target. And uh, uh, we decided one day, Marsha and I, when Pat was, you know, maybe five years old, we decided that it would be a good idea to tie her up. And, um, and gag her. And put her in a closet, which we which we did, and uh, you know, and uh, and then of course we forgot about it. Um, my my mom found her uh, after she was kicking around and making some noise because we had hogtied her. And uh, uh, any event, in 2020, I should not have done that. And, and Pat brings that story up once in a while, and uh, and I've asked her not to bring it up because I, I really don't recognize the person that did that to her. But in any event, I did. Okay, and the, the, so my wife and I were walking last night uh, over to get a pizza on Johnson Street, and um, I, she said, are you going to tell a story tonight? And I said, well, I really don't know if I am. I said, I've got something I'm thinking about. She said, well, what story are you going to tell? And so uh, when I was in uh, high school, going to the prom, uh, when I was a senior, I invited out a, um, a girl, uh, uh, well, her last name was Foreman. We'll leave the first name out. And uh, anyway, she was a, a very attractive woman. And uh, uh, when I was in high school, you know, I was interested in boobs. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and she had two of them, and um, so uh, why she accepted, you know, the day, maybe she just wanted to go to prom, but she was a very attractive woman. She didn't have to accept it from me, but she did. And so we went to the prom and, and uh, got done with everything, and then we were parked in the car, and of course I was trying to explore, and uh, I had, it, it was starting to get light out. Uh, so we'd been parked for quite some time, and I had this real funny feeling as I'm trying to, you know, work some of the garments. And uh, 
and I looked off to my left, and my dad, he had pulled his car up right along, so my face and his face were just about so far apart, and he was looking in at us, and um, I rolled down my window, and he said, uh, Mr. Foreman wants to know where his daughter is. <laughs> and he, at that point, he zoomed away. Um, so I, you know, at that point, I, I took her home, and then I went home. And my dad was there, and of course, you know, when you're a, a young guy, and I'm finding this out with my son, um, you know, he's 37 now. <laughs> um, there's still, you know, as a child, uh, you don't like your parent, you know, telling you things. Even though they're right, you don't like it. Uh, so anyway, he was telling me that, you know, I shouldn't have been, you know, out this late. His father was worried about his daughter. And um, so anyway, and then he ex said, you know, well, I was worried about you. And then he started crying. And... Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I addressed it okay because, uh, in hindsight, I didn't address it, address it okay. But, um, uh, you know, I promised him in the future I would call. Um, so anyway, that was a story I told my wife that I thought I would tell. And she said, well, geez, uh, don't you remember that time when uh, we first got married? And uh, guys that are married uh, probably realize that their wives remember things. Um, <laughs> And I've been married a long time, so I've made a lot of mistakes. And one of the mistakes, and by the way, I'm the, one, of the, one of the positive things about, you know, in 2020 is I married my wife. Okay, well, anyway, she's not here, so I can get away with that. Uh, when I get home, I don't have to be so nice. But so she said, uh, well, remember that time? Now, we were, at the time, we were, Lynn and I were living uh, in a basement apartment, and, and it was really nice, a nice basement apartment, as basement apartments go when you don't have any money. Um, and it was in Milwaukee, and uh, the first meal that Lynn had ever cooked for me before we were married was a spaghetti meal, and she had uh, followed a recipe, and the recipe said uh, uh, two cloves of garlic for the spaghetti sauce. And of course, you know, not really understanding cooking, uh, she thought clu two cloves of garlic were two corms of garlic. You know. And uh, it was an interesting meal, and of course I ate it. Um, so that was the beginning of her reputation as a cook, you know. So, so anyway, she made chicken. We're married now, and she made chicken, and it was baked. And, you know, it was a really nice-looking meal. Everything was real nice-looking. And I cut up into the chicken. It was bloody. Well, you know, I remember at home how my dad used to react and sulk and pout and all the other things that, you know, they do. And, of course, that's exactly how I reacted. And I said, I'm not eating this shit. <laughs> and, I, and I got up and I walked right out of the apartment. Well, after walking around for a while, I thought maybe that was the wrong decision. And when I came back, she wasn't there. And later that night, she, she showed up, and she explained to me that if I didn't like her cooking, I could do all the cooking myself. 
Um, and so uh, that was corrected, and in hindsight, that was another thing I should not have done. <laughs> so that takes care of my stories for tonight. Man, rookie mistake, Tom. Seriously. Uh, all right, who's our next storyteller? Honestly, I probably say this every time. If you've had the pleasure of him, of hearing, seeing him tell a story, uh, you know it's a pleasure. Uh, if you haven't seen him tell a story, buckle up. His name is Dave Babbler, and put your hands together for him. Hey guys, always with the kind intro, appreciate it. A lot of dating stories tonight, yeah. A lot of people going on dates. I want to talk about pets. Domesticated, you know, well-maintained pets. Who, do, do you guys, we got pets in here? Anyone? Dog, if you're a dog person, bark. <laughs> got one! I had to see if how many people I could get to bark in the audience. I don't know who did that. But that was a success. I'm done. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> so my story is actually about a pet that I got when I was about third or fourth grade. Um, we had previous pets, pets before I got this one. We had a couple dogs, a golden retriever, and this beautiful white, like, you know, bleach white Siberian husky with, like, just, like, these piercing blue eyes, a gorgeous dog. But we, we, we struggled with pets. The golden retriever had, you know, had medical issues. We couldn't take care of him, so we had to you know, let him go. This dog tore everything apart. Like he would, like, I mean, he's a husky, so I mean, like, he's like 90% like wolf. Like, I don't think there's a, like, a thing as a domesticated Siberian husky. They're just like these wild animals. And I would always defend the husky because he was like my brother because I was young. And, like, he, he, he would, like, burrow through doors in the house. <laughs> My dad would get home, and he's like, Destiny, what are you doing? And I'm like, Dad, he was trying to get in the other room. And I would, like, shelter him. <laughs> Destiny, it's okay. He didn't mean it. But we just couldn't, like, maintain pets. Like, we always had issues, and, like, they just, they just didn't work out. So I am petless at, this, at the point in time, like, during the story. And I'm arguing with my parents, we got to get another dog, we got to get another dog. And they're like, we're not getting another dog, we've had issues. So I convinced my mom, and she does this thing where she's like, all right, well, I guess I should teach this kid a lesson. <laughs> she didn't say that to me, but like, she's like, I, hindsight, that's what she's doing. She's teaching me a lesson, like, it's just a pet, like, they're so beautiful and loving. Like, I know the door, but the room... <laughs> And so I convince her to let me get a pet, and we walk into the pet store, and here I am, like, third or fourth grade, and I hear, like, birds chirping and, like, you know, like, dogs barking, and, like, oh, this is, like, this glorious moment, and, like, there's, like, a 15-year-old behind the counter, and it stinks like crap. Like, that's, like, what it's actually like, but I'm, like, experiencing this, and I'm, like, yes, pets everywhere. So I'm going through, and we have to figure out a pet that I can get that I can maintain for myself because they're teaching me responsibility. you got to learn how to take care of a pet because, you know, if they're going to chew through doors, you got to be able to handle it. As an adult, they're teaching me a lesson. It was beautiful. I had great parents. <laughs> Mom, Dad, if you're listening. Um, so I look through, and we have to find something that's cheap and maintainable for a fourth grader. And, I, and, and we end up at the hamsters. And we're looking at these hamsters, and I have to decide. So I'm, like, picking the one. All right, I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life with this hamster. <laughs> like, I, I have to make the right decision. And, and the thing is, is, like, it was about to close, so it's super late at night. And so, like, you guys, we got to close. Pick a hamster. And so I go, and I'm like, all right, I got to choose. So I'm looking at these, and I, and, I, and I look at one, 
all of them are pretty much sleeping, except there's this one. He was like the Usain Bolt of hamsters. He's on the wheel. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. And it's like a fat chubby kid. I'm like, this is inspiring. I want him. His name is Speedy. Let's get out of here. So I purchased Speedy. Oh man, this demon fast like hamster that won't take no for an answer. And I get home. We get him all set up in his thing and, you know, put him in his cage. Then I get to the next day at school and I'm like, I can't wait to get home and play with Speedy. And for some reason in my head, I'm kind of like picturing him like hanging out with him the same way I would a dog. <laughs> like I'll just be sitting on the couch watching TV, <laughs> petting my hamster. Like for, it's just like that's what I was thinking like that this was going to be like because I have this like preconceived idea of what pets are like like you're going to be just like destiny and I'm going to hold you and I'm going to pet you and it's going to be great so I'm all day at school I can't focus on anything at school they're trying to teach me I'm like no I, I can't stop thinking about speedy this is my boy so the end of the school day comes I get home throw the door open take my space jam backpack whip it against the wall speedy and I'm like, boy, what's... We're speedy. I don't see speedy. Mom, we're speedy. It's like, I don't know. And I get up, find something to put my feet on, jump up on top, and I'm like, speedy. And I start digging, and he's in there, and he's like sleeping underneath like the wood chips or whatever that they... I don't know what it is that they sleep in, but he's like sleeping in there. I'm like, oh, speedy, you scared me half to death. <laughs> so I'm digging so and I'm like and I said I got you something and I put this wheel in there I'm like you saying bolt <laughs> and I set the wheel in there I'm like I cannot wait to show this is my gift it's speedy and he doesn't go on and he kind of just like looks at me and I, I, I try to grab him because I'm in fourth grade <laughs> put him in the wheel look I just bought this for you <laughs> so I try and grab him and, and I go to reach towards him and he bites me in the finger I'm like, mom he bit me I'm bleeding. But it's cute, apparently. Like, as a fourth grader, I reach in and I'm like, oh man, that's weird. And like, I don't like think twice about that. And so he just like burrows deeper and I'm like, we'll play tomorrow. He's tired. But for, like, I start realizing something. After like four, five, six, seven days of coming home from school, he's always sleeping. And that stupid 15 year old didn't tell me that these things are nocturnal. So like, I'm looking forward to playing with him every day after school. And I get home, and he's just sitting there. He's like, what do you want, Dave? Trying to get some sleep. Brushes the chips over his face. <laughs> and then I start noticing something after I purchase the wheel, is that while I'm trying to go to sleep at night... <laughs> It drives me absolutely bonkers. And it gets to the point where I get home and I'm forced to feed him just like my mother and father predicted. I didn't want anything to do with him. <laughs> just like they had no desire to want to have anything to do with destiny because she was too wild. I learned my lesson, y'all. So every day I get home and I'm like trying to put food in there. <laughs> and he bites me. Oh, speedy! I just want to grab him, throw him against the wall. <laughs> But I don't. Come on, sorry. All you animal lovers out there, I didn't do that. I did something much worse. So it turns out we're going on vacation in a few days, and I'm. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. A few days, and we, we go to leave. My mom plans like someone's gonna come and, you know, feed him. Right before we're all, everyone's getting in the van and we're all ready to leave, before we leave, I just dump all of his food. <laughs> 
into the into his cage. I'm like, there, eat that, Speedy. <laughs> Not knowing that he's going to eat all of it. <laughs> and when I get home, there's this huge round hamster squeaking on the wheel. <laughs> Poor Speedy. So I guess in hindsight, if you're not prepared to take care of a pet, just don't get one. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Our next storyteller is a guy I have known since about kindergarten. His name is Dan. He's a funny guy. One time... One, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. One time he ripped the roof off of his delivery truck. You should ask him about that later. But put your hands together for Dan McHugh. Thank you. So I know there was already one summer camp story already, but I'm going to tell another one. Because summer camp is a beautiful place. If, it's very strange if you're at a particular summer camp. I was at Lakeshore Christian Camp, which is a Christian evangelical camp. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, we got a few, few fans in the house of Lakeshore. But it's, it, it's very strange. It's a place where you go um, to mostly hang out with your friends. And then, I don't want to be mean, but also like to care about, to pretend to care about church activities, really, is what it's mainly about. And maybe for some people that wasn't the experience. And I was religious while I was there. But I think that the main draw of the camp, like if you said to someone like, oh yeah, you're going to go and and uh, go to church all the time, or you're going to go hang out with your all your friends and there's going to be girls there all the time, you'd probably pick the latter option. So that's what I did. And... Um, it, it, yeah, it, so the camp was an interesting place. It was a little run down. By the time that I got there, they actually did like rebuild their skate park and stuff so we could like pretend that we knew how to skateboard in their half pipe and everything. It was great. And uh, so we were there one day. And again, this is a place where great things happen. For, for instance, once our youth pastor, like the leader of everyone who was there, once... <laughs> once built an elaborate water balloon slingshot and there was one day when he was trying it out because he didn't really know how it worked yet since he just built it and he pulled the water balloon slingshot back like super far and just let it fly and we were like wow this is such a cool device and then like half a second later we're like wow this is a really dangerous device because Because there was one of our friends named Andrew and one of his girlfriends who none of us knew her name. And, you know, we were like in middle school, so we were assholes and we didn't care to learn her name. So we just called her Denise. And and Denise was just hanging out in the half pipe, minding her own business. And she just got pegged in the head with a water balloon slingshot to the face from roughly 100 yards away. And... It was a very strange feeling because at the same time, it was like, oh no, she's probably hurt. But at the same time, it's like, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so it was, it was the kind of summer camp where that kind of thing happened. And also the type of summer camp, when we were exploring around the campus or the, the campgrounds, where we would also find this very strange dump 
just kind of located in the back behind all of the cabins. There was just like a nondescript behind all of this foliage. There was all this just shit that people just threw away from the camp. There was like a lot of industrial supplies. I don't know what they were doing there at night that they didn't tell the campers about, but it was something strange because all of that garbage was seemed like professional construction equipment. So we were exploring that, and we found a tire, and we were like, oh, tires, yeah, let's play with this. So we, we got this tire, and I came up with the bright idea of rolling it down the hill because that's what you do with tires. They go fast, and it's cool to you as a child. So we rolled it down the hill. I was like, yeah, this is super cool. And then on the way down, it ran over this fish tank that was discarded there. <laughs> it's like, this is slightly less cool when the glass shards just shattered in a super loud fashion, like alerting all of the camp counselors to what we were doing. And so I'm like, okay, this is probably bad, so I'm going to run after it. So I ran after it, and I started kicking the tire, except I kicked it at the top, or no, at the, at the bottom, which did not work at all. And I just kept kicking it, and they were like, kick it at the top, kick it at the top my friends that were like watching this catastrophe happen and of course I was a kid and I didn't know what was going on so I just kept kicking at the bottom like why don't you fall over and it never did fall over and it just kept going and eventually I lost track of it because I couldn't keep up and it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling and eventually it just completely just kept rolling right on into our cabin and just slammed huge noise in just the side of the cabin <laughs> and and then it finally toppled over because the cabin was able to do what I was not <laughs> and the noise I, I mean memory obviously has clouded this this happening but it sounded just like a thunderclap and we just booked it in any direction that we could possibly find and they never did actually find out who did it which was me so i guess <laughs> hindsight probably wasn't that much of 2020 on that i think i actually did a pretty good job so yeah that's all Our next storyteller, Mike, is it Rithbon? Rithborn? Rathbon? Mike Rathbon, everybody! So, um, I work in uh, theater, and in theater there is this unfortunate tendency to develop a certain kind of tunnel vision, right? The only thing that matters is the show. Uh, and for the last two years, I've been working in uh, Bangkok, in Thailand. Um, and we had gotten down to the night of final dress rehearsal. And we were sort of aware of what was going on in general, but mostly, like, martial law had been declared, like, three days pri prior. And, you know, we were aware of this because we were really pissed off that it uh, disrupted our press. Because this was a new company, and it was our premiere show, right? And, you know, suddenly everyone's talking about this whole martial law thing, Right. Uh, as opposed to our show, right? Um, which, uh, if there are any theater folks out, it was, uh, we were doing a production of Martin Sherman's Bent. Um, uh, which is a really, really neat show. It has, like, the best sex scene in theater, I think. Uh, but, uh, and we're in our final dress rehearsal. And uh, I'm, I'm the technical director. 
And I'm a bit of a jackass about people with phones, right? I, I, I can't stand anybody having their phone on. Like, I'd, I'd taken, like, three people, oh, you know, and, and bitched them out horribly for them having their phone on that night. And so we go through our final dress rehearsal, and, and it was beautiful, and, uh, and then we turn our phones on at the end of the final dress rehearsal, and we find out that about three hours before, there's been a military coup. Uh, and the entire city, uh, the, the army has occupied the city. And there's uh, <laughs> been a curfew that was an hour and a half ago. And we have like a cast of 14 people, a crew of seven, like an eight-person production team. And we're all right in the direct middle of the city, nowhere near where any of us live. And so we have to flee because it's also now illegal for any groups of five or more people to be gathered unless you're family members. Um, And again, there's a curfew. Um, And so then we have to scatter through the city. Uh, And for myself, like I lived on the other side of the river, the Chao Praia, the River of Kings, um, which is sort of curves right through the middle of Bangkok. And the big problem with this is that while there are troop trucks passing on the streets, but there are lots of alleys. So, you know, you just sort of dart through alleys. I eventually found a uh, motorcycle taxi driver who was still out, who was willing to give me a ride to the river because they couldn't go any further. And uh, <clears throat> there was nothing that strained my time more than trying to find someone on the river with a boat who was willing to run their boat without any lights across the river to the other side um, to then like sneak off the boat and then sneak back through these like you know couple miles worth of neighborhoods to to get back uh which did give me the impression that maybe it is like wiser to pay attention to what's going on in the country around you than just the show that's happening (laughs) um thank you Thank you, Mike. I'm halfway through a piece of pizza right now. Don, where are you at? Don is from a different country. And just for that reason alone, you should applaud very much for Don. Give it up for Don Means. Uh, first, first off, I'm very impressed with the stories tonight. I was expecting with hindsight, it would be more like, huh, I mean, hindsight, I shouldn't have gambled on a fart after eating all those spicy burritos, or in hindsight, I should have eaten seafood in a landlocked desert country, so that's pretty good. Um, my story is something I was try- I was planning to tell on the last Story Slam. The theme was, was it my fault? Yes. I'm going to squeeze it in here because it's sort of with hindsight, so I'm just going to cheat. So if, you don't, if you're not cool with that, there's the door. Uh, <laughs> um... So I'm from the Netherlands, which is not particularly relevant for this story, but I went to see my parents, who also live in the Netherlands, so it's mildly relevant. Um, I didn't go home that often when I was in college, because I was in college, it's so much cooler to hang out with your friends than hang out with your parents, because, you know, we're past that point, which, you know, it's not, go hang out with your parents, they're wonderful people. Uh, so this is not one time I went back home, uh, my parents live in The Hague, which is on, this, on, the, on the sea, as a little port. I mean, I was like, great, Don is home, we're going to make some good food, so we're going to go to the fish store together to get some 
some shells, swords, some sort of shellfish. That's what we're going to get. Doesn't matter. Something Dutch. You wouldn't like it. <laughs> um, so we drive to the harbor, and I'm not sure if you guys have ever been to like an actual harbor town, but there's always the parts, like the industrial parts of the harbor. It's always kind of grimy. There's a lot of like trucks going up and down with fish stuff. It's kind of desolate. I see one lady like, nodding. Yes, like harbors are gross. Um, but it was this amazing, amazing fish store, like right in the actual industrial part of the harbor, which makes sense because it's where all the trucks and the fish auctions are and stuff. Um, and we show up, and it's this giant, empty, basically industrial lot with these big warehouses where they store fish and do things, and then the fish store. And there were a bunch of sea containers there, the big ones, that were just hanging out with God knows what in them. So my dad drives up to the fish store, but the parking lot was full, so he decided to park anywhere else in this industrial lot. And there were two giant sea containers parallel next to each other, and he was like, I'm going to park right between those. That makes perfect sense. So he pulls in, we get out, we go to the fish store, you know, we admire the live lobsters and all the piles of fish. We buy our shells, it's great. So we get back in the car, but we're parked between two sea containers, so you can't really see where you're going. So my dad's like, I don't know what I'm doing, I have to back out of here, you know, please be my eyes. Why don't you look to the right, see if there's any traffic coming, I'll look to the left, and then, you know, we won't get hit. So he slowly backs out, I look to the right, because that's where I'm sitting on the passenger side, nobody there, it's deserted, nobody. He looks on the left, nobody there either. He's like, great. So he just pulls out, bam! And he drives straight into this light pole that's right behind us. Because <laughs> none of us are brand new looking back, which is a hindsight thing. So yeah, squeeze it in. <laughs> so, um, so he totally like trashed the rear of the car. Like there was just glass. <laughs> Just shooting in a car, there was shards of glass everywhere, and the whole thing, like the door was just gone, like the whole chassis was like dented, it was so sad. So we came home, my dad gave my mom the, the shellfish, and was like, yeah, those were like the most expensive shellfish we'll, we'll ever have in this house, because we basically need to buy a new car. So that's my, my hindsight story. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Don. All right, who do we got next? Paige. Paige Hampton, right? Paige Hampton. All right, everybody give it up for Paige Hampton. Thank you. How's everyone doing? Good. Okay, so my story is back in eighth grade, eighth grade graduation. So I don't know if you guys had, it was a big of deal for you guys in eighth grade, but for me, it was a huge deal. We got to go in the high school, um, we got to dress up, people had limos, it was a big deal. Eighth grade graduation, looking back, not that big of a deal, but at the time, it was. So I'm all dressed up, the gymnasium is filled with people, filled with aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, you name it. <clears throat> And so we had even like a rehearsal and they told us all these directions. I was like, yeah, I got it. So then we're sitting down. I, my name is, my last name is Hampton. So I'm like in the middle, middle of the row, like middle of the whole group. And the first award is announced about like an athlete. And I was pretty psyched. I had won it. So they said my name. So I pop right up. Well, I start walking up on the stage and I get to my coach and he shakes my hand. He says, I don't have anything for you. I'm like, okay. So I walk down, and as I'm walking, I remember the directions. When you win an award, you just need to stand up and wave to the parents. 
So as I'm walking down the stage, I remember that. And I, I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, oh shit, I wasn't supposed to do that. So I walk back to my seat, I sit down, I look at the girl next to me, I said, I wasn't supposed to go up, was I? No, no, you weren't. So the entire night, my night was ruined because I was so embarrassed that I had walked up on stage. In hindsight, listen to directions. Thank you, Paige. All right, let's see. We're kind of like raging through. We only have two more people signed up. Do you guys want to take another break real quick? Yeah, take another break. Uh, we'll do, we're going to break and then do another raffle. I'll I'll tell a story really quick. Uh, Do you remember my friend Ian from my last story? So, Ian uh, is a guy who got pulled over by police uh, on a number of occasions. Some of you may have heard this story before at a story slam. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up at a Christian school. Several, uh, Dan, who just told the story about Lakeshore Christian Camp, I went to that camp. Uh, yeah. Woo. Um, so uh, after high school, we all went to a Christian school, K through 12. Uh, about a year after high school, I had like a... Uh, a reunion. I think it was the, the our first Christmas break. I think. I don't know. Was it around Christmas, Natalie? Do you remember? Yeah, it was around Christmas. And during our first Christmas break, everybody came over to my house for a fire and uh, at a party. We had a party. And I always like to say that I throw such great parties that the Wisconsin State Journal likes to write about them for two weeks after. And the reason they did so is because when Ian left my party, uh, he got pulled over. So he's driving down. I was in some prairie, and he lived in Oregon. And uh, he's driving down 151, headed towards the interstate. And this car, well, first, Ian's car was a black Honda with the license plate 123. Let's just say that. And this car, just without its lights on, just about hit Ian, just like flew past him at 100 miles an hour. Ian's going 60. And Ian pulls over because he sees the cops behind this car. One cop goes flying past Ian, chasing after this guy who's obviously broken several laws, because why else would you run from the police? The six other cop cars pull behind Ian on the side of the road. Ian is on the phone with a girl at the time and goes, I think I'm getting pulled over. I have to go. So he hangs up. He sits in his car for a while. And suddenly over the bullhorn, he hears, Driver, roll down your window, turn off your car, and throw your keys on the pavement. Any sudden movements, we will fire. And he looks in his rearview mirror. Every cop, there's like 10 cops out, has their, their guns drawn. Some of them have rifles, and they're all pointed at him. So he throws his keys out on the pavement because, I mean, when you've got 10 guns drawn on you, you do that. Ian's parents are here tonight. They weren't happy when this happened. Uh, so, so he does that, and then... Uh, a little bit of time goes by, maybe a few seconds, and the, the cop goes, Driver, open your car door, kick it open with your leg, and stand up out of your car and walk back towards the sound of my voice. Any sudden movements, we will fire upon you and kill you. All right, so I, I guess I'll do that. So he does that. 
he walks back towards the sound of the guy's voice. He gets cuffed, gets arrested. The cop says, uh, you're under arrest for evading police and suspicion of, like, all this shit. Like, who knows? And the cop says, do you, do you have a body in your car? And Ian is like, huh? <laughs> I, think, I think he told me, when they told me I was under arrest for, for all the, this list of crimes, I just said, oh, okay, because I was totally in shock. <laughs> He goes, I was totally in shock. Like, what, Like, I don't know what's happening. They just threatened to kill me. And, and so I just said, okay. So then uh, about 10 minutes go by, and, and the, one of the main cop comes up to Ian in, in the back of a squad, squad car at this point. and goes, uh, so we, we suspect you have weapons and a dead body in the trunk of your vehicle. We are going to search your vehicle. Uh, there's nothing you can do about that, by the way. And uh, it's going to go a lot better for you if you just tell us about the dead body right now. And Ian's like, you can search, but you're not going to find anything. Uh, so they search his vehicle. Um, didn't find anything. So here's, here's how it turns out. It comes out over the next two weeks in the Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, the Sun Prairie Police Department... Uh, well, so the chase started downtown Madison and came out to Sun Prairie and then, and then went back into um, Madison. And the one cop that flew past Ian radioed back and was like, Hey, why are you guys all stopping? I'm following the guy who's committed the crime. You guys need to follow me. Uh, the original vehicle was like a yellow Ford Escort with the license plate XYZ. Remember how Ian's vehicle was a black Honda with 123 license plate? Uh, Ian's white, the driver was black. Uh, all these different things happened. And, and so like... Uh, eventually, the cops realize their mistake. They have now threatened to kill and arrest the wrong person. So the, the cop in charge, the Sun Prairie Police cop in charge, comes up to Ian, lets him out, and give, gives him his business card and says, well, at least you got a good story for your friends. <laughs> that cop no longer works for the Sun Prairie Police Department. <laughs> Uh, our next storyteller, you can stand up, Cassandra. Uh, our next storyteller, her name is Cassandra, and let's give a warm welcome to her, everybody! Hi, guys. I want to sit on the edge of the stage like this. No. Uh, so my story's not funny, but I hear that you can tell not funny stories. Um, my story's like a kind of a crazy story and it's like a, a B film horror film you know like the cheap low budget films um, it's also a story about studying abroad which is good like everybody should study abroad did anybody study abroad here yeah it's, it's good for your brain um, so I studied abroad in Peru I was there for six months when I was um, in college as a sophomore um, and the very end of the six months, I had had a great experience. I had traveled a bunch, and I really loved the country. And um, I was like, I'm going to do like a final like camping trip weekend. I'm going to like explore this place outside of Lima. And my sister there that I lived with, not my sister, but she was like my host, um, and my best friend, and then my sister's boyfriend, we all decided to go camping um, like a few hours south of Lima. There's this crazy... Um, like cloud forest, not cloud forest, but it's um, 
it's in the middle of the desert, and um, because of the Pacific Ocean, like all of this moisture comes in every morning and every evening and creates this like beautiful green forest that's like really special and it's unique. So we're like, oh, let's go check this out. You can camp there. It's like super cheap. We'll take this bus. And like traveling in Peru is pretty dangerous and kind of sketch anyway. But we had done, I had done it for six months. So I was like, hey, I'm a total pro at this. Um, so we get there. It's like several hour bus ride. And then we're dropped off like in the desert and there's like the Pacific Ocean and then desert. And we're like, where the fuck is this park? And there's like this long, like little tiny dirt road. And this man who's like the park ranger, I guess, like is slowly riding his like motorcycle out and he kind of like meets us and he's like, Hey, yeah, like this is the park back here. It's like an hour walk up. But once you get there, it's really beautiful. And we're talking in Spanish or whatever. Um, so we're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Hour walk in the hot desert sun. We'll be fine. Um, and Lorena, who's my sister, was like, oh, like, I don't want to fucking walk. Like, and he's like, oh, get on the back of my motorcycle. I'll drive you up. So she, like, drives off with him, like a complete stranger that we just met. And her boyfriend, like, started running off being like, Lorena! And was like, oh, my God. Or like, and we're like, whatever. It's fine. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine. And so, like, walk an hour. He was not, like, kidding. To um, the entrance of the park. And there's like his tiny little hut, and Lorena's in there, and the park ranger. And she comes out, and they've been hanging out. Lorena's like super friendly. She like trusts everybody. She loves everybody. Um, So she was like, he's so great, like blah, blah, blah. And he comes out, and like my first impression of him was like, I don't don't know. I don't know if I like this dude. And then my second impression of him after he came out of like his little hut that he stays in was like, I do not like this guy. Like, I don't even want to like make eye contact with him he's a piece of shit. So I was just like, I don't fucking like him. I'm going to cuss a lot. Sorry. There's a baby that's over the ears. Um, so, and Lauren is like, Oh, it's fine. And so she's like really outgoing and he, and we're like, okay, well, where do we camp? Like, here's our fees. And it's another like 15 minute hike up and you can start to see like all these trees and it's this beautiful area. And he's like, well, I'll walk you to your campsite. And the place is like empty. Like there's nobody there. We're like, that's weird. Like, why is there nobody here? Oh, I guess it's out in the middle of the desert, whatever. Um, and he, like, walks us up to our campsite, and Lorena's, like, talking with him and, like, really, like, kind of flirtatious because that's just her personality. And she's like, well, why don't you come have dinner with us later? We'll, you know, by the campfire. And I'm like, dude, like, don't invite him. Like, let's just, like, like no, like, let's just keep to ourselves. I don't know if I like him. I don't like him or whatever. And, like, everybody else wasn't really sure. Um, so we have our evening to ourselves. We watch, like, the sunset over the Pacific Ocean. It's beautiful. We're sitting on these, like, cliffs above the park. Um, and it's like this really peaceful, serene moment. And then we walk down after it's dark and we start a fire and we cook dinner and we hear his motorcycle again and it drives up the hill and it's like making that sound like, I don't want to make the sound cause that'll, you're going to laugh at me. Um, I'm like, I don't know. Um, and he, sorry. And he, and he parks his motorcycle and he's like hanging out and he mainly talks to Lorena cause she's like nice to him. And I'm like, don't fucking talk like you're, I do not like you. Like my intuition was just like, Oh, like I don't like this dude. And so we like all eat together and we're talking. And then finally he like gets on his motorcycle and drives off. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't know. And we like hang out for a little bit, go to bed. And it gets, um, I swear it gets weird. And then, so the sun has set, it's pitch black. We're in the middle of the desert. There's no cell phone service. Um, I'm a girl and like, there's a guy with us. And in the middle of the night, it's like 
three in the morning and I wake up suddenly because Lorena's like screaming. This sort of gets B-rated horror film. She's like screaming like, what the fuck? Like, like in Spanish, just like, get the fuck out. Like, what the fuck? And like Yvonne is screaming. And so like me and my friend Kelly like scramble out of our um, sleeping bags. We're like unzipping the tent and we hear this motorcycle like start up and then drive off in the black darkness. And we're just like, what? Like, well, oh my God, you know, like we're just waking up and Lorena's like, oh my God, like someone just came in our tent and Yvonne is like, I think like, and we're just like talking like rapidly, like what, 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 what's happening? Like, is he gone? Is he, or is he in the bush? You know, like, where is he? And so it's like this, like, um, immediate, like, how do I save my life right now? So the first thing is it's completely pitch black and we can't see anything. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's build a fire, like anything quick, like everybody build a fire and like find a knife or like find a sharp object. Like, and Lorena's like, palitas, which are like a beating bat stick. So she's like, we all like grab like sticks and like that we could potentially bludgeon someone with. Like I was, anyway, um, and I like go to find my pocket knife and I'd left it out on the um, table and it was gone. And there was like a few other things that were like taken. And I was like, oh, like he took my knife or we, he it took us a minute in the darkness. Like, well, so we built the fire and we finally had some light, which was like the first thing apparently you need when you might get murdered in the middle of the desert is light. Because a headlamp doesn't really, I don't know, it's pretty scary to... Um, and so, and the next thing you need is like sharp metal objects and paletas. And so, and we're talking and like, Lorena's like chain smoking cigarettes and we're all standing around the fire, like pointing our knives like into the edge of nothingness and we can't see anything. We're like listening and we're like tense and we're like discussing like, well, was it the park ranger? And we're like, well, fuck yeah, it was the park ranger. He's the only other person here. Like, there's nobody here. And we're, like, talking and talking. We're like, yeah, we heard his motorcycle. He drove off. Like, when is he going to come back? Did he, like, pretend to drive off? Is he going to come back and kill us? And and um, so we literally had to wait there next to this fire that we tended until sunrise because we're like, okay, well, once the sun comes up, then we can pack up our shit and get the get the fuck out. Sorry, baby. Get the, f- <laughs> and like walk an hour back to the highway and like flag down a bus in Peru, which is like super dangerous, but like, that's better than being here. And so we wait and we're like on the edge, like stabbing at the darkness, like waiting for him to come. And I was like ready to kill somebody to save my life. And, and then we're like, what? He's such a, like, what was he going to do to us? Like, I don't want to think about it right now. So we're like, okay, let's wait for the sun to come up. There'll be light everywhere. We can see him if he's coming and, like, whatever, and we'll just get to the bus. And then, so finally we see, after, like, hours of my adrenaline just pumping this, like, tiny bit of orange light, and we're like, oh, yeah, yes. And, like, the sun, like, starts rising, and it's, like, beautiful. And in any other context, it would have been a beautiful sunrise. And then because it's a cloud forest, we're, like... So we're, so we're packing our tent and we like throw down the tents. We like, oh, I'm going really, I'm going over time guys. Um, we, um, collapse the tents, pack up our stuff. We see that there's like, um, some wet areas around our tents that are kind of weird. Um, and I'm like, I gotta think about that later. 
Um, and then, so we like pack up our stuff, we start to hike and then the clouds like come in. So we're like completely surrounded in fog again and we can't see anything past five feet again. We're like, what the fuck? And so we're like, we had to hike an hour down to the road and we hear at one point I was like, okay, I'll talk to him. And at one point we hear his motorcycle coming through the fog and we're like, and I'm in the middle of like peeing on the side of the road, like holding a knife. And so I'm like hauling my pants up like, God damn it. And like, he comes up and he's like a super creep and he like turns his motorcycle on to like neutral and he like rolls down the hill with us and he's like, Hey guys, so did you sleep well? And I'm like, yeah, like we had a great night. It was beautiful. (laughs) He's like, so like, have you really enjoyed your stay here? Like obviously not like pretending like nothing has happened and we all know. So I'm like, let's just pretend with this psychopath. And, um, so I started to just like ask him questions about like, how does this plant grow? Like, this is really interesting all in Spanish. My Spanish got really good after this. And we, we finally walk and we like hide our weapons cause we don't want it to be confrontational. We get to the end of the road. We had to talk to him the whole time and he was like, Oh, Hey Lorena, do you want, um, your ID back? And she, and so the one detail that we had talked about was that at, at the front um, check-in hut, there was all these IDs of like young pretty girls that were on the wall and you have to leave your ID to get a campsite. And we were like, why would everybody leave their like driver's license here? That's stupid. And she's like, I don't need my ID. It's fine. We're just going to get going. We have, we have to be somewhere. And he's like, no, 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 I'll go get it for you. And he brings it back. And so we kind of realize like, that's why all the IDs have been left there. And we get to the end of the road and he just sits there on his like motorcycle, just like staring at us as we're like waving down buses and we get on the bus and I have this like picture that I took of him across the road of him just like sitting on his motorcycle Um, and that story, the moral is to trust your intuition. Okay. That's, that's all. Thanks. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. All right. So our next storytellers, uh, just so you know, we've got to cut it down to five minutes. You no longer have up to 10 minutes. You've got about five minutes. When you see my light, it means wrap it up within a minute. Again, it's nothing against your storytelling ability. We just have to get going. All right, real quick, our next storyteller, Vince. Where are you at, Vince? Vince, you got five minutes to tell us your amazing story. Give it up for Vince. Well, this has less of a 2020 component, more of a no good deed goes unpunished component. So years ago, I worked at this uh, truck stop restaurant, and there was this young lady that worked there. She was a little older than I was, and she always needed a ride home because her husband was kind of a kind of a dick, and he never gave a ride home. So uh, I give a ride home a lot in the winter, and uh, was being a truck stop and everything, so I drove her home, and that particular night, I decided I was going to go out and have some beer, so... Dropped her off at her door, cranked the wheel, whipped the shitty in the road, and then I could hear this clunking sound in my car. Like, what the hell's that? So I drove right back to the truck stop, honked on the car. The guy, mechanic, opens the door. I drive in, and i like, car's making this weird sound. And he's like, yeah. He goes, like, it's probably this coat caught in your tire. I'm like, well, how would a coat get caught in my tire? So I get out, and I looked at him. like, that's just like the coat that what's-your-name wears that I gave a ride home to. So I went back to make sure there was no body or nothing in the road, and there wasn't. <laughs> the next day, she comes into work. Her face is a little bruised up, and she just has one sleeve because she no longer has a coat. So she gave me that, and I took it to my mom, and she stitched it on the coat. So all was good and everything. And then um, 
being a small town, it was kind of a well-known little story at the truck stop. And then two weeks later, we had our Christmas party, and our manager says, yeah, you need to go. And he's the kind of guy that's always like chewing invisible gum and pointing, you know, like, yeah, you need to go to this Christmas party. So I get there, and he's handing out these gag gifts, and one of them is a noose. And he's like, this is for when you ride with Vince. Put this end around your neck, put the other end in the car door. He slams it and gives you a ride home. <laughs> that's my story. Thank you, Vince. That was short. Totally caught me off guard. Alicia, I've known you since you were little. Everybody else, put your hands together for Alicia Kozar. Hey. I'm so nervous. That's me, Alicia. Okay. So with the um, Christian camp school stuff, I also went to the same uh, Bible camp as Adam and Dan. So this story is about a private school dance where they only play Christian music, and you have to stand this far away from each other. Dan and I went when I was a freshman, and I was like, okay, but only as friends. And he was like, oh, you're too young for me. We're two years apart, so it's fine. Um, so we went to a friend's house after the dance to watch Pirates of the Caribbean in her rich basement, and um, Dan leaves, and so I don't have a ride because I was 14. I was 14 years old, and I don't have a ride home. And so our other friend who usually comes to these things and is not here, Jordan, he's like, oh, fine, like, you know, I'll give you a ride home. So he has to give me like a 20-minute ride home. And he decided to drive his mother's car that night because it was nicer than his neon, which was like a piece of shit. It was like terrible. So he drove his mother's car, which was like, you know, a little bit cleaner. And so we're, you know, it's two in the morning. He's driving me home. We're like literally less than a mile away from my parents' house. And all of a sudden we see lights behind us. And it's a cop car. And so the cop car, you know, pulls us over. And Jordan's, like, pissed. He's, like, mad. It's 2 in the morning. He has to drive me home. I'm not his date. His date went home with someone else, probably. She's, like, you know, bye. So he's pissed. And uh, the cop's, like, comes up to his window. And Jordan looks at me. He's, like, I don't know why we get pulled over. Like, this is a nice car. I wasn't speeding. We're in 25 miles an hour. Like, it should be fine. The cop's like, hey, did you know that your license plate is expired? And Jordan's like, uh, it's my mom's car. I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry. And the guy's like, oh, okay, let me just see your driver's license. Jordan hands him his driver's license. Jordan's 16. He's breaking GDL because it's past curfew and I'm 14 and we're not supposed to be in a car at 2 a.m. in McFarland, Wisconsin. It's very dangerous. Don't go there. Um, very dangerous. And so the cop's like, I can't let you drive this car anymore. The driver's, your, you know, your driver's license is, you can't be out here, and your plates are expired. So you have to ride in the back of the cop car, private school kids. You have to get in my cop car. And so I'm like, oh, this is crazy. What is happening right now? And he's, like, pissed. He's like, are you kidding me right now, Mom? Mom, Joe Jean, where are you? I'm pissed. He's, like, pissed. So we get in the car, and we drive a whole, like, three-quarters of a mile to my parents' house. My dad's still awake because he has ADD, and he was, like, on Adderall, like, painting away and, like, whoa, this is crazy. And so we, the cop's, like, talking to my dad for a while, like, I used to live in this house, like, way back when because it's McFarland and everybody knows everybody my dad's like that's neat that's really cool I'm gonna drive this guy home now who just drove my daughter at two in the morning she's 14 home from a dance and got pulled over and rode in the back of a cop car home so we get in the cop car and he has to drive Jordan home into Madison's like 15 minutes away and uh 
Jordan's still really mad and he just is like fuming and he's like, you know, not happy and he keeps saying all these things that he's like really mad at his mom. It's angst, right? Teen angst. And so uh, my dad's making jokes the whole time. Like he's like just top of, you know, his he's right up here and he's like, isn't this hilarious? This is so funny, you two. What was that cop car like? Were those seats comfortable? They weren't. And uh, so he drives Jordan home, drops, you know, him off. Jordan's mad, mad at his mom. Everyone's and then my dad's still making jokes to me the whole way home and I didn't get in trouble at all. Jordan got in trouble. So the uh, hindsight of this is don't go to a private school dance. Just don't go. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm sure you, you could attest to that, Adam. Yeah, I agree. yeah private school dances suck. Yeah.